you are listening live to Compact Discourse on Weagle 91.1 FM, Auburn's home for student-run radio since 1971. As many of our listeners know, this is Weagle's one and only weekly drive-time morning show, bringing you weather, sports, the menus at the edge, weird news stories, Alabama State history, and more every Monday through Thursday. Broadcasting live from the Bradley-based and WEGL studio on the first floor of the Harold Melton Student Center, I am your Tuesday host, Alex Husting. It is a weird day outside. It is 58 degrees and very foggy, with overcast expected to continue throughout the day. Now today, I am so excited to welcome the head coach of fifth-ranked Auburn Gymnastics, Jeff Graba, into the studio. In his 13th season on the Plains, Jeff Graba has brought unparalleled success to the program, with the team breaking nearly every program record in the book during his tenure, and he was named SEC Coach of the Year in 2014 and 2015, as well as SEC Co-Coach of the Year in 2012. Coach Graba, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Yeah, thanks for having me. And I guess there's obviously so much that I want to discuss about Auburn Gymnastics, because it's really, in my in my time here at Auburn, has changed so dramatically, because I remember we were talking about it earlier, when you were on the Extra Point about four years ago, one of the questions I asked you was about the atmosphere at the meets, because I, coming to Auburn, gymnastics, I'll admit, was not on my radar. I did not anticipate, during my tenure, I thought I was going to go to football and going to go to basketball, and that was going to be it, and then spring semester, my freshman year, we just went down to a gymnastics meet for the heck of it on a Friday evening, and it was unbelievable experience, like anything I couldn't really believe, and the crowds that time were crazy, and even then... This past week on ESPN, they showed the ticket sale differences, and I think that year was about 6000 and now obviously the last two years, it's been a complete sellout. So what has it been like for you to see that shift happen in these last two years alone and see that type of enthusiasm from the fan base? Yeah, it's it, well, it's been fantastic. Uh, I'd like to see that ticket thing. On, I should go watch the broadcast. I'll, I'll pull up the picture for you right now. I actually took a picture of it because I knew it was so important. It was it, when, when I got here, there were a total of 66 season tickets sold. And we were in a real debate with the athletic department about uh, it was Auburn arena at the time. Auburn arena was just opening up that October and um, they were trying to figure out what to do with gymnastics and volleyball and all of that stuff. Um, and I remember the, the athletic director at the time, Jay Jacobs and I, and, uh, and David Mines, my sport administrator, we all sat down and the, one of the things that, Jay Jacobs wanted was I came from the University of Utah, which was selling out 15,000 seat arenas. And uh, that's sort of what he wanted. But he was a little bit nervous about, you know, jumping all in into the into the arena. So they were they were wondering about should we be selling season tickets? Should you know, uh, where should the students sit and all that? And, you know, we, we took that first year and had a really, really good plan to try to sell more than 66 season tickets and uh yeah we we've moved from 66 to well over 6,000 season tickets now so and, it, and it's definitely worked out so here is the graphic so it wasn't season tickets it was average attendance but yeah I remember at least that year my freshman year there was I think you guys had set a record for season tickets that season and then of course it's just snowballed into this year yeah so that's I guess right. Right. You talk, You just talked about it right then, and I asked you about it actually on Tuesday. You said how much it means to the team, the energy they receive, but how much does it mean to you as the builder of the program, as the head coach, to see that and to, again, you already talked about how much it's grown, but just in an average meet when there's that kind of energy, how does it affect you in a meet? Personally, it it's probably, there's only two things that I really wanted to accomplish here, and that's build a program and then uh, create a winning record, uh, uh, something that 
something that can't be taken away. And, and, uh, I think we've been able to do both. We're definitely on track for both. But, you know, when I walk away at some point in my career, I want to look back and, and, and feel like I've impacted the Auburn community. And I think that's what Friday nights are in Neville Arena right now is, um, you know, I had, I heard some students talking about this is the thing you do on Friday night before the thing you do on Friday night, I guess. So, uh, that's what I take pride in that. I mean, that's it. it gymnastics can be fun. It can be like a football and a basketball experience. And I, I love hearing your story. If you show up, uh, we typically have people show back up again because it was so much fun. So that's, that's a huge uh, thing that I'm going to take with me the rest of my career. Absolutely. And I'll say this, you've definitely had an impact because this is a little anecdote that you probably didn't see, but a fellow classmate of mine, Chris Mendoza, he's now a writer for the Plainsman, and he watched the Florida meet on television because he was covering it from home and he just tweeted out oh my gosh this is amazing how is this not the most popular sport in the U.S. because that that is pretty much every student experience that because even you know we all probably have grown up watching gymnastics at the Olympics that that was my only experience other than doing gymnastics when I was like four years old which was just four-year-old gymnastics which is not obviously the same thing today and you just watch it and it almost is beyond belief seeing what these athletes can do and that has certainly snowballed because I remember even my freshman year as fun as it was you know, we could show up whenever and we'd get a seat, and then the Alabama meet last year completely changed things. And then this past, the Arkansas meet, there was a line down to Wire Road, which had only <laughs> ever been a basketball thing. That had only ever been for men's basketball, and I had never seen anything like it. It's just a complete shift, and that le- leans into something else I wanted to ask you about. I know that as coaches, you guys can't say a whole lot about this, so I don't expect a ton, but... The shift in exposure, how has it been navigating the world of the NIL, which has changed everything in sports? Because I remember my sophomore year, I was talking with coaches in Auburn soccer, I think it was Ben Madsen and Auburn volleyball, and they said basically they were just going to let football take the lead and the rest of the sports were going to figure out after them. But with gymnastics, you couldn't do that because you had an Olympic gold medalist in Suni Lee and the Darion Goburn, who is, I think, tailor-made for the NIL era. So how has that been navigating that murky waters of the NIL. I, I had been telling our administration for a, about a year and a half when the rumors were coming out that, that, uh, that NIL was something was going to yeah. be in the, in the works. Um, I think, and I think it's proven true uh, that for some reason, now gymnasts, I'll go back to your original thing. The Olympics are in, uh, in the Olympics, uh, the women's gymnastics and men's gymnastics events are arguably either number one or two, uh, the, the, the number one or two viewed, uh, events in the Olympics every four years. So, and that's been for, for years and years and, you know, it's track and field. It depends on, 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 you know, uh, aerial skiing. There's some other things that are good, but when you separated the, the Olympics out, gymnastics was one of the top ranked, uh, things to watch. So I think NCAA gymnastics is catching up. The SEC network has put us in front of a lot of eyeballs and people are starting to see like, oh, I want to be a part of that. And, um, and it, has not, it's, it hasn't hurt our attendance in, a, in the arena. It's actually helped our attendance. Because as you know, watching it on TV is great, but watching it in person is a completely different experience. Um, I think that lent itself to these young uh, social media savvy people who are in the prime of their careers. Like gymnastics, your prime of your career is 16 to 20. So Darion Goburn's a perfect example. This is exactly when she should be cash, cashing in on NIL. 
I, I, w- I was trying to tell everybody, I think gymnasts are going to be this, uh, the, the unforeseen uh, uh, spearhead on, on NIL. There's, there's a couple different versions of NIL. And, you know, there's collectives and all that type of stuff. But as far as just true endorsement money, that's the, the gymnasts are, are, are figuring that out pretty quickly. And I would say I agree with you in that sense that gymnastics, it's the most individual sport where you can showcase the most of your personality. Like, obviously, Darianna got popular because she was a national champion on vault, but her floor routines are the main event every Friday night that everybody is just waiting for. Yep. So it certainly <laughs> allows here. that. I mean <laughs> – I, I remember my friend, actually, I'm going to shout out my friend Josie. She went to the meet on Friday, and she'd never gone, and she she just bought a ticket. And Suni was not on floor, and she's like, oh, no, where, where's Suni? I was like, don't worry, Darion is the main event. And, of course, <laughs> afterwards, she was like, okay, yeah. And I, she was asking me like, to explain, and I was like, you kind of just have to see it. Because I still think, I mean, when people ask me about, because I've gone to a lot of games and meets as a student, Still the craziest experience that I've ever had at the arena was last year at the Florida meet when she scored the 10 to tie the meet. Yeah. I mean, people were just losing their minds for like four straight minutes because they couldn't believe it, and it was just... I think that was the top-ranked dual gymnastics meet. It uh, was. It broke every record ever. Yeah. It was like 198.4 yeah. to 198.4, some crazy number. Yeah. Every, Trinity Thomas had like two tens because she always does. Yep. She's incredible. That meet was just... I really couldn't believe it every single time. And this is actually relates to that previous question. Actually, I have, I have two questions on this. So first, this is something I've always kind of wanted to ask you about because it's always been curious to me. So NIL, if I'm not mistaken, kind of allowed SUNY to come to Auburn because when you're, like you said, the prime of your career is then when you win an Olympic gold medal, you have to capitalize on the endorsement opportunities. And before NIL, she wouldn't have been able to be a college gymnast and make that money, Correct. right? Yep. So how how was that conversation going on? Because she won the gold and then NIL went into effect like a few weeks after, I feel like. What was that entire few-week period like? Uh, I, I remember going up before, it was before Olympic trials. She was ranked really high. We, we knew that there was an extremely good shot that she was going to make the Olympic team. And uh, I went up there, you know, she's coached by my brother. So my brother and I sat down with her and, and that's when NIL was, already legal in some states it was starting to break and you know we were getting indications that yeah you're gonna there is going to be some type of an nil situation in in alabama so uh, we felt really comfortable uh sitting down and saying okay that looks like you can do both like you're when you come back from tokyo you're going to have the option to do both but we need to know is this what you want to do and and that even if we, we were anticipating that she was going to finish really high in the all-around and, and possibly win a gold medal on an event or even possibly the all-around. Um, you know, that's, and I think that's where it started. She wanted both. She's, she's really pushing the envelope on the fact that you can do both, that you can do, you can balance an Olympic career in gymnastics. And it's never been done before. And, you know, nobody's ever made a comeback and went back and, and dominated again. And I don't know if anybody's ever made a comeback and went back and actually made the Olympic team. Uh, she's trying to do that at the same time as not lose any of the revenue that she's capable of making. So it's it, 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 it's been phenomenal for us because without NIL, she couldn't have showed up. But that doesn't mean NIL is an easy situation to navigate. <laughs> yeah, of course. It, it, it is always ever complicated. I mean, I know Alabama passed a set of laws and then subsequently 
re- uh, what's the, repealed them yeah. shortly after to where now it's all a very murky situation. I think it is very interesting, like you said, because on top of going to college gymnastics and possibly going back to the Olympic team, I mean, I'm pretty sure she's a shoe in to make the team. I don't, I don't know the whole process, I'll admit. She's also had really incredible success for the team, obviously the national champion last year and as much success this year. Now, unfortunately, we got to go to a short PSA break. We will certainly continue this Auburn Gymnastics discussion. So many more questions to go. You can tweet at CDiscAU for any questions you have for Coach Graba, and we'll be right back after this. Back here in the Bradley Basin WEGL studio, this is Compact Discourse on Weagle 91.1 FM and WeagleFM.com if you're not in the Auburn Opelika Megaplex. I'm Alex Houston, your Tuesday host, joined by Auburn Gymnastics Head Coach Jeff Graba. Got a couple questions here. We were talking about it a bit in the break, but before that, I got a question from our program director, Logan Hurston, who is the host of Beat Drop, one of our Weagle music shows, and WWEGL, for that might give you a hint of what this is about. He wanted to ask you about Darion Goburn's deal with the WWE that's like a talent. Do you, is there any, I know obviously coaches aren't super involved, but what can you tell us about that deal and anything you know about it? Yeah, um, actually, when she's, I think it was after she signed with them, but. Um, but it was there's been some events that she's had to, um, or or been lucky enough, I guess, to go to go be a part of, and uh, so so we've talked about it because you know she might miss a practice or something like that. Um, I'm I'm in, I'm fascinated with it too. It's it it appears, it, and she'll probably be better off. You can ask her next week if you if you get a chance. But um, they the the WWE does a really good job of developing young talent and and helping build uh, social media brands. So uh, when you sign on, that's one of the things is they're going to try to figure out if if you're good for them, but you also get to figure out if if they're good for you. So she's in that contract right now. It's like a year where they're just making sure that you know they look for performers which she is they look for for athletic people which she is um they look for people who are capable of building their brand and and helping um the WWE which she's fully capable of that so i think it it, it appears to me to be a really good relationship yeah <laughs> i think i mean i i certainly the the WWE is a very unpredictable company itself but i personally think she's kind of tailor-made for that entire business just in terms of the natural charisma that she has while yeah. she's on the floor. I'm just and- not sure she's going to I I joke with her all the time. I'm not I can I don't know if I can see her jumping off the top rope and and uh, you know or choking somebody out. I'm I'm not sure I can see Dee doing that, but maybe I mean, <laughs> gymnastics is death-defying as anything sometimes. Sure. <laughs> so she could certainly just be flying off the top rope anytime. Who knows, obviously. And this kind of goes something we were talking about over the break. Being a coach in gymnastics is different than I think any sport cuz at least from a viewing standpoint, it doesn't look like you're calling plays necessarily like football or basketball. So what exactly are your tasks for you specifically during a gymnastics meet? Uh, a lot more is going on behind the scenes than we let on um, 
mostly because you you can't bring anxiety down on the floor. It anxiety is not helpful in our sport. In some sports, it is actually helpful. A lot of energy and and a lot of anxiety can be helpful in in football and basketball and uh, you know some pretty aggressive sports like that. Ours, we try to mask that as best we can. So we might be making major decisions and just whispering in somebody's ear. Um, but we're, we're look. We're changing routines. R- r- the actual routine an athlete is doing can change on the floor. We change lineups on the floor, which means you can change the whole lineup before the event starts. As soon as the event starts, you can pull people out of certain spots, but you have to replace them in certain spots. So you have to have set your lineup up pretty well before that, because you could limit your options if you get into a pickle. Um, a lot of that's what's going on. Uh, talking with the with the judges and the and the meet ref, trying to make sure that what they're seeing is what you're seeing, that that type of thing. Um, and then you know warm ups, making sure people are healthy, making watching technique, making sure they're actually doing the 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 flipping the way you need them to do the flipping. Because anxiety and energy and all that type of stuff can change technique. You get a little bit too juiced up, you can actually mess yourself up. So the, the coach needs to be there to help them figure that out. Right. That honestly, I, I'm really glad you answered that, especially the way you're talking about whispering, because that's why I asked it. Because every time I watch it, even other gymnastic coaches honestly walk around with a lot more energy, where you're just kind of like walking around yeah. in the background, and I that makes a lot more sense, especially because you definitely don't want to get your athletes nervous or yeah, and, anxious. And a lot of that came from I, I coached elite with my brother for years, and elite is is what you get in the Olympics. Is you you cannot go to the Olympics or World Championships, no, none of those big international meets, unless you're a, technically what's called an elite. So gymnastics goes level one through 10 and then 10 being the highest level, but elite is a a hand-picked select few of the tens that move off to the side. It's not higher than 10. It's just a completely different world. That's what SUNY is. In order to make the the Olympics, you have to be an elite. Simone Biles is an elite. Well, I coached with my brother and we owned our own gym and coached elites for five or six years, tried to qualify to the uh, 2000 and 2004 Olympic runs and, and national championship runs. And in the elite world, you cannot talk to your athletes. You, they are, they are up there without you. When you go international, you're not allowed on the podium. If you're on the, if you're up on the podium, you cannot talk or it's a team deduction and an individual deduction. So I came from the world of, you have to get them prepared to survive on their own. All your work has to be done ahead of time. And a lot of times when you're talking a lot, when you're seeing a lot of that energy on the floor, it's not more effective than just getting your job done before the the meet starts. So Interesting. I, I did not know about that with the elites and team deductions for just talking to the gymnasts. That actually it all it all makes a lot of sense in that and that relates to another question. This is the question for my mom. Don't worry, it's not about anything else that we talked about. <laughs> she just wanted to ask you, and this is something that I've noticed as well, a lot of the gymnasts, they are so zoned in on themselves. They seem to not even pay the least bit of attention to the other team. I know during the quad meet last year you kind of had to because there was so much going on. But generally, they do not. Is that something that you guys have to sort of train them to do, or is that just them in the zone on their own, not worried about the other team at all? Both. Um, generally speaking, first first off, we talk a lot about controllables in our sport. You can't you can't control the other team, and you can't control the judges. You can only control your performance. Uh, however, the other team and the judges can control your performance. You you have to be careful that if you don't get caught, if you get caught up in what they're doing, you could actually significantly hurt your own performance. You tend to push too hard. If you see somebody else scoring high, you think we're behind. 
the recipe, the goal in gymnastics is that you're 100% when you go. So if Cassie Stevens is out, is getting ready to go on floor, we get to the Florida meet, which you're referring to last year, we get to the Florida meet, it's important that she hits that routine. Otherwise, Suni and Darion cannot try to tie this thing up at the end. Well, Cassie shouldn't be looking and saying, we're five tenths behind, uh, I need to try harder. Because if you're already trying 100%, the only way to go is down. So anything that comes in destroys the product. So yes, we're, we're very cognizant. We call it our bubble. We got to stay in our team bubble. And then each athlete has to stay in their own bubble. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Cause it's always interesting. Cause I think a lot of the fans can sometimes get hung up on the score, but even sometimes like on the road, I think you've mentioned it before. It's almost about getting that NQS score. Is that, is that the yeah. correct yep. versus if, if you don't beat a team on the road in their environment, it's almost more about what score you guys can get on your own. Yeah. And that kind of ties into two of my last questions here. You mentioned it a few weeks ago, Sophia Growth has been recovering from an off-season surgery, and she's not at 100%. What can you share with me and all of our listeners about her recovery process, and when do you think she will get to that 100%? Yeah, I think she's getting there now, um, but now it's it's hit ratios. You know, she our sport is a little bit weird because you have to it, you have to do physically enough work to to get your body to know what it's doing and to be ready for the landings you know, timing, all of that stuff that happens. But you also, along that same line, you're building confidence that that you know that you can do this when the when the, the pressure's on, that type of stuff. Well, she, the surgery isn't the problem. The sur- it was the practice that she missed. So she missed six weeks of real intense push, the, the basically the month of December and the first week of, of January. Uh, where are the other girls, that's when they were failing and figuring out how to conquer those failures. And now she, the problem with her is she has to do it now. She has to do it in front of thousands of people. So she, that's why she is struggling at times. And it, it can get a bit demoralizing because uh, everybody else got to fail in private. You, do, you don't get to fail in private. I think she's getting pretty close. I, I would say her and, and Aria Brush are another one that are probably a mid-February full-speed option at this point. So Aria, I wasn't fully familiar with uh, her injury. So what happened there exactly? With Aria? Yeah. Uh, she, well, she she has not been back on bars yet. Uh, yes, it was a shoulder issue over the summer. Right. And I mean, she's back, but she's not to the point where she can do it at a level where she's going to, you know, get put into the lineup, but she's getting close. So yeah, we, that's why I've, I've told everybody we're really not 100%. You know, we're, we're doing this at around 80, maybe 85%. And then pretty soon here, I hope by the end of February, um, that we're at a hundred percent. And that's really the goal. We don't need to, the wins and losses are fantastic, but it's the scores that have been helping us. And we have to be in the, in, in a position to win in March and April, not in February. Right. And you just talked about winning in March and April. And obviously last week, SUNY was rested on floor because you talked about how tired everybody and worn down everybody was by the end of the year. Auburn Gymnastics had never gone that far before. What kind of things did you learn from going that deep into a season and seeing how it affected your gymnast? It's more, it's a new, uh, I had been that that deep into the season many times with with this team in the past and with my former team, but it was a different format. Yeah. Uh, the new postseason format is they added a Sweet 16 round, which is great, but it added another meat injected into the middle of it. So... It, it's quite a bit more brutal uh, emotionally uh, and physically, and there's travel involved that, you know, we, 
we what I learned last year is if we were that tired at the final four and that mentally fatigued at the final four, imagine if we'd have been on the road for regionals. We, we have to we, we have to push a little bit more uh, early, which is what we did this year. We came out really strong early. And now we have to have a plan for resting people throughout the month of February and early March because we've got a lot of people doing a lot of events. And that's what you saw last Friday is, you know, uh, we, we took SUNY out of a pounding event on her legs. Uh, Sophia had the first two weeks off where she didn't do the all around. Um, where We have a plan of attack moving forward with Cassie and, and a couple others. But um, Olivia Hollingsworth is now in the all around a lot. So, yeah, uh, we learned we better rest our people and, and have the end in mind. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then looking ahead, specifically this upcoming week, you're traveling on the road to take on Alabama and Tuscaloosa. I think the Tide lost this past weekend, but they did score a 10 in one of their events. I think it was on bars. So you've talked about it before, what kind of differences and how difficult it is to win on the road, especially in the SEC. But to to the outside perspective, to a fan, it'd be kind of hard to understand that because the crowd's not yelling and booing like in basketball and football. So what exactly is it about going on the road that is so difficult, specifically in gymnastics? So in gymnastics, everything is about timing and, and um, knowing where you are in the air. So when you go on the road, you take the crowd out of it. Yeah, they will be booing, I think, up in Tuscaloosa for us, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> <It's fair. laughs> but um, when, when you get up there, uh, you get 20 minutes to get ready for the event. You, you get 15 minutes, you get 20 minutes to stretch on their equipment, and then 15 minutes, four turns on bars. You get four turns to get yourself figured out on a set of bars that they've been on, if they're a senior, they've been on those bars 35 times and practiced on them and, and had meets, on, uh, you know, inner squads on them. You get four turns for a total of about two minutes to get used to it. Where are the lights? If you release a move and fly over the bar and you're used to stopping your feet and looking at the rafters in our gym, there might be a light bulb there. So now you're blind. You can't see the bar when you fly over it and you fall on uh, on the mat. Uh, that's why the, there's... Uh, just the equipment is a significant home field advantage. The floor bounces differently. The beam bounces differently. Um, the Where it's lined up, they can line up a beam so it looks crooked, but their team is used to it. Uh, all kinds of stuff like that. So there's not there's never gamesmanship in gymnastics. Joe. I never. I did not know that. So do you, does Auburn line up the beam crooked? No, but I'll tell gonna, you this. Uh, Barnhill Arena um, in, in Arkansas, we were not there last year. We went to the Bud Walton Center last year and, and helped them sell that out. But typically when you're in Barnhill, there's a huge jumbotron uh, viewable from the, the, the bars. So when you're swinging on bars, you're watching yourself swing on bars. Oh, good Lord. And... <laughs> They, they leave their equipment set up all year round. So they go in there, turn that jumbotron on, and get used to it. But the visiting teams are not used to it. LSU went there last week, was not used to it, lost. Yeah. I Alabama, and a similar thing happens up at Kentucky. Alabama lost to Kentucky, and Alabama had a really good score and scored a 10 on the road, which is nearly impossible. So, yeah, we've got our, our hands full going to Tuscaloosa. We've never won there. Uh, to give you an idea of how hard it is to win there, Florida has won three national championships and uh, they won there this year, and that's the second time in the history of the sport that they've won in Tuscaloosa. Wow. And I think that is the perfect note to end it on. <laughs> Again, Coach Gray, but thank you so much for joining the show. Obviously, good luck this upcoming Friday as the Auburn Tigers will take on Alabama. You're listening to Compact Discourse on Weagle 91.1 FM. 
and we will be right back after this to discuss probably some Auburn gymnastics by myself, maybe talk about some weather, some food around Auburn's campus. Who knows? Anything can happen here on Compact Discourse. And we're back. This is Compact Discourse on Weagle 91.1 FM. Alex Houston here once again solo in the studio. I just want to thank head coach of Auburn Gymnastics, Jeff Graba, for stepping into the studio today to talk Auburn Gymnastics. I hope you guys learned a little bit. I learned a whole heck of a lot. He was talking about some things over the commercial break about how the student sections will get involved in um, certain events. I think at LSU he said the beam face the student section directly and they will do research on the gymnasts and yell things at them, which is, to be honest, hard to fathom because the beam already stresses me out enough as it is. I couldn't imagine that. And I also want to thank Kendra Willard, the SID for Auburn Gymnastics, for helping set this up. The SIDs are the number one behind-the-scenes workers in Auburn athletics. If you're an Auburn fan that isn't involved in the media, you may not even know anything about them, but they really make this giant engine that is Auburn Sports Go, and I want to thank Kendra Willard for setting that up. And she also set up a media availability later today, which I'm very excited to go to and talk more about Auburn Gymnastics along with Darion Goburn, who will be there. So, yeah, guys, I mean, I apologize to those listening who called in. I did see the calls. It's just... I was just myself and him, and I didn't. I wasn't sure how to answer that while also keeping the show going. Next time when I interview a coach, I will be sure to have a co-host here to help me answer those phone calls and any of those important messages from all of you listening there at home. But again, Auburn gymnastics. I mean, what a what a time it has been in my four years here to watch this sport elevate itself, and now obviously going to take on Alabama, trying to make history. They've made history so many times, and they're going to try and make it one more time. They're at Coleman Coliseum, no less, an arena that seats around 10,000 people. Still 59 degrees outside, still very foggy. We got a dense fog warning from – dense fog advisory in Lee County from the National Weather Service. Going to be a high of 68 today, low of 56. Though we will be getting some rain on Thursday and on Friday, so be wary of that. And Auburn basketball goes to take on – Georgia tomorrow, I'll certainly talk about that in part, among many other things. But let's talk about the menu, everybody. And I'm not talking about the film starring Ray Fiennes and Anya Taylor-Joy. Maybe I will talk about that later. Who knows? The menu at the edge, everybody. I'm not going to go through breakfast because if you haven't gotten breakfast yet, you're probably not going to get breakfast. But actually, you know, nah, it's your standard breakfast stuff, to be honest with you. It's all French toast. Their omelets are pretty fire. I'll say that. But lunchtime, everybody. If you're thinking, hmm, where do I get lunch today, and you're walking to school, driving to school, whatever, this is the place for you. All right, so at the edge, in traditions, you've got some smothered chicken breast with confetti brown rice, roasted mushrooms, roasted Brussels sprouts, and some southern cornbread muffins. Then in the Ignite Grill, you got a Southwest crispy chicken sandwich and some crispy French fries. Urban Kitchen, you got the grilled pimento cheese and tomato cheese sandwich as well as the classic grilled cheese. Then in True Balance, roasted herb, herbed, herbed? Turkey breast with some seasoned rice, grilled green beans, roasted mushroom and tomato salad, and oven roasted carrots. Then in Streetworks, you got some taco meat, seasoned black beans, and fresh-pressed flour tortillas, homemade in-house flour tortillas. Mind you, they're pretty dang good, if I do say so myself. That'll be basically your taco station. No word at the pasta. I think the pasta can be made to order. And then your pizza, you've got classic cheese, classic pepperoni, and then mushroom and sausage. Then for dessert, 
chocolate brownie, citrus cake with vanilla icing, vegan carrot spiced cake, and sugar cookie. So yeah, there's your menu at the edge. We need a food button. I don't want to play the Rex Ryan button anymore. I need to find another food button. All I got, all I got is this. Brandon Frazier. Or if I had gotten my cup of coffee! I don't really know what to do with any of that, to be honest with you, ladies and gentlemen, but there you go. So yeah, obviously, let's talk, let's pivot towards Auburn basketball right now, again. Because, in part, I think that you certainly have to talk about what happened over the weekend and the fact that, yes, they did fight their way back. The Auburn Tigers did. They fought their way back to only lose by three in West Virginia. But the same problem that has been plaguing this team occurred again. Another huge halftime deficit that they couldn't overcome. Here's the thing with this team. They're not good enough offensively to overcome a halftime deficit like that. 16 points, they're not. 15 points, they definitely are not. So what's going wrong here? The problem is, in my opinion, in my honest opinion, I think the problem with Auburn basketball is that the offense still does not have an identity. Auburn went down at halftime in part because they shot nine three-pointers, a lot of contested three-pointers. This is not a team with three-point shooters that can just shoot contested shots like that. Like, they're not, they don't have Eric Stevenson there just draining everything. And they, they haven't the whole year. They are, I think, 274th in three-point percentage. They might be a bit higher now since they shot 31%. Let me look it up and get you those numbers as soon as I can. But they are one of the worst teams in college basketball at shooting three. In fact, I think this season they're shooting under 30%, which is inexcusable. So here, here, here's the numbers here, right? All right, let's go and look at it. They are 345th. Sorry, it was 347th. They're 345th now in three-point percentage and 248th on three-point attempts. In my opinion, if you're going to be 345th in percentage, you should be 345th in attempts. They're taking 20 attempts per game. Why? I honestly do not know. And the thing is, two-point percentage, they're 119th, which is not, like, super high, but their overall field goal percentage is brought down to 203rd because of how bad they've been at the three-point line. The problem with this team can be summed up perfectly in that final stretch of possessions, okay? So Auburn is whittling down there trying desperately to tie the game and take the lead. They could not do it. Katie Johnson had a chance at the free throw line to tie it, could not do it. Jaden Williams had a chance at the free throw line to tie it, could not do it. So then I believe it gets down to the final two minutes. Auburn is down by, I want to say, three with around two minutes left, and you go to an Allen Flanagan three-point shot. Now, Allen Flanagan has been really much, much better, actually, for this team as of late, especially in conference play. He's been great. But in conference play, additionally, he's shooting 33% from three. So why is that your go-to basket with two minutes left? Auburn was getting everything they want in the paint. Jani Broom had all of his points in the second half. Katie Johnson had nine by attacking the basket primarily in the second half. Jalen Williams had 18. Allen Flanagan had 13, again, with only one made three-point shot. I don't know what they're doing attack, not attacking the basket there. He had an opportunity to keep dwindling it down. Trust your defense that shut down West Virginia in the second half and attack the basket. This is not the Auburn team of years ago. This is not the Auburn team of right now. This is, or this, this is the Auburn team of right now. <laughs> Excuse me. 
getting a little flustered. Sorry. It's been, it's been, I got up a little early this morning, maybe too early. This is the opportunity of right now. This is not Jared Harper and Bryce Brown hitting threes from wherever on the court. This is now. And what you have now is a team that cannot shoot three-pointers. Attack the basket with Janai Broom over and over and over again. They attacked it later on, but then with their last shot of the game, even without a timeout, is a Wendell Green three-pointer. He was 2 of 10. Figure it out, everybody. I don't really – I just got a text that's saying I'm roasting Alan Flanagan. I'm not. Alan Flanagan has been excellent. He is by far, in my opinion, Auburn's best on-ball defender outside of Zeb Jasper, and he has given their offense life attacking the basket, something that their small guards just have not been able to do. This team's small guards just have not been able to attack the basket against bigger teams. That's That was going to be a problem. I think we all anticipated that. It's just that now, what do you do? Alan Flanagan gives give this team a lot of power on the offensive side attacking the basket. And again, he's a great defender. But I don't know why you, that's your play, play call at the end of the game right there. I really don't. And again, this is not this is not trying to sound very doom and gloom. This is just really the first time I've talked about it since the game. The truth is, this team has a lot of talent defensively. They do. Eric Stevenson scoring 30 is almost more to do with the fact that that was the best game of his career up until this point versus defensive breakdowns. Half the time he was hitting threes with defenders in his face just because he was red hot in Morgantown. And that's a Bob Huggins-led team. That's one of the most experienced and best coached in all of college basketball. So this isn't like, oh, man, they're going to lose by 30 to Georgia tomorrow. I think they're going to beat Georgia. It's at home. Auburn loses at home very rarely. Up until the A&M game, I had never seen them as a student lose in person. I had not seen them, even when I went to Alabama last year, they won that game. I had not seen them lose in Neville slash Auburn Arena as a student until that A&M game. So, more often than not, they win at home. And I think they will do that, no matter what. But I think it certainly needs to be mentioned that the offense needs to find a way forward. And you're certainly going to say, if for those uh, who would defend Auburn basketball, which I don't blame you because this team has done a lot of good and this coaching staff has done a lot of good and won a lot, what exactly is the way forward? What is the next step for this Auburn basketball team? And that's a great question. But guess what, everybody? It's a question that we're going to answer after this PSA break, you're listening to Compact Discourse on Weagle 91.1 FM, WeagleFM.com. I'm Alex Houston. You stay right here. We'll keep talking about Auburn basketball right after this. Switch. 
Good morning. Once again, everybody, this is Compact Discourse on Weagle 91.1 FM and WeagleFM.com. I'm your host for Tuesdays, Alex Houston. Going to be followed by Davis Carroll tomorrow on Wednesday and then Adrian and Rio on Thursday. I asked the question at, at the end of that commercial break, where does Auburn go forward? And it's fair. At, everybody can ask that question to me because I've been admittedly very critical of this team. So where do they go forward from here? I think, number one, you got to step away from aggressive three-point shots. By all means, draw play designs for open threes, which is what they did in the second half, which is why I believe they were 4 of 10 in the second half, which is much better. 4 of 10 is a lot better than 2 for 9. And you're going to say, well, it's two-shot difference. 4 of 10 is a lot better than 2 for 9. It just is. Simple as that. So obviously the offense, I think you have to find ways to scheme people open. The Bruce Pearl offense for years has been built off of individual shot creators, guys getting hot, running simple open screens and letting them make things happen from there. And that's fine. When it works, it's brilliant because a lot of guys in college run such a system, they're not really prepared for what happens when Jared Harper just gets hot. Just saying. And they weren't, and that's why I went to the Final Four. But this team is not that team. This team does not have the individual shot creation that it needs consistently. Flashes of it, yes, obviously. I think there's four or five guys on this team that have shown the flashes of being the guy that can make it on their own, that can just make their own shot and call it a day. There's no denying that, and I think you certainly, when the team gets hot, give them the ball. You know what I mean? When If Wendell's getting hot from three, yes, obviously, just let him cook, as they say, right? But you got to find ways to scheme people open. I think Lior Berman is a great example of that. Yoan Treor is another good example of that. Two guys that I don't know if they can necessarily create so much on their own. Find a way to get the ball open. Lior's a great three-point shooter. Okay, find ways to get him an open shot. Yoan Treor had his best game of the year against South Carolina and has not seen the floor since. If you're going to keep shooting threes, put him on the floor. If that That's the thing is the offense needs to find what it wants to do and just go with it. That's part of the problem. And if, if you listen to Davis, and if Davis ever talks about sports, I don't think he does that much anymore at this point. Um, I, I don't think he, he certainly uh, – sorry, I lost my train of thought. Um, I don't think that – they should stick with three-point shots, but I think right now you've definitely got – oh, sorry, this is about Davis. My goodness. Sorry, ladies and gentlemen. I think with Dave, with, uh, with what Davis says is that they need to run more plays, period. And, yes, I think that would probably solve the problem, but let's assume that that's not the full issue. The other part of the issue here right now is the fact that this team doesn't really know what it wants to be. It wants to be a three-point shooting team that takes 23-pointers a game, but it still won't make those three-pointers. They don't. And then again, you also need to, they want to attack the basket. They want to get the ball to Janimar. Pick it is the problem. Pick your system and just stick with it. I think this team needs to just, if they want to go to attack the basket, find more creative ways to attack the basket and just stick with it. And obviously don't give up on the three-point shot, but you might need to leave it behind. And again, they take on Georgia. What's the Georgia basketball scouting report? Obviously, let's go ahead and look at their schedule and see what we can get from the Georgia Bulldogs. Playing a lot better this year than they have ever in a long, long time. 
the Tom Crean era is over, to say the least. The Bulldogs are 14-7. and seven. They're 4-4 four and four in the SEC under head coach Mike White. Their offense is struggling at 217th in the country in points scored per game. But they are 107th in points allowed per game in their strength of schedule. Both pretty low. 109th strength of schedule. Strength of, I believe, record is 103rd. They have... Let's see, the 305th field goal percentage in the country. They are 220th, though, in three-point percentage. They hit 33% of their threes per game. They also are 41st in fouls committed. I can't tell if that means the most or the least. I'm thinking, oh, that means the least. Okay, so they're, they're a pretty disciplined team on defense. And then especially in conference play, let's take a look at it. They're fourth in the SEC in three-point percentage, as the conference has been historically bad in three-point shooting throughout the year. It'll be a tough task. And again, Auburn did not look good against Georgia a mere few weeks ago when they played in Athens. Of course, this is Neville Arena. This is the Auburn crowd. This is a very different environment than anything else. And Auburn wins at home, and they look for this win at home. And they're going to need it because they go to Tennessee this weekend. And this is the true test for Auburn is can they bounce back in SEC play against Georgia at home and can they be competitive against Tennessee on the road? Now, a lot of you say, oh, come on, have, have faith that they'll win. And I, and I think this team should beat Tennessee. I think they have the talent to do so defensively specifically. They, and if they run the right system, they can cause some chaos there in Knoxville. But really what happens before halftime will be your tell right now of how this team has shifted in the past week what sort of changes this team can make and has made. Because I think this team cannot have another 15, 16-point deficit at halftime. I just don't think that can happen. And I don't know if this offense can recover from that. But, yes, Auburn basketball takes on the Georgia Bulldogs this Wednesday at Neville Arena, tip-off for scheduled for 6 p.m. I'm sure the jungle will be out there in full force regardless. They always are. This, this student body loves its basketball team and loves going to basketball games. And then Auburn Gymnastics will take on Alabama in Tuscaloosa before coming back next Friday. That's, that's not this week, but the next week, to take on LSU, a meet that could very well be one of the craziest we've ever seen here on Auburn's campus. Who knows what could happen there. But this has been a compact discourse on Weagle 91.1 FM. WeagleFM.com. I thank you for joining me this morning and joining us as Coach Jeff Graba stepped into the set, onto the studio, whatever you want to say, to talk Auburn gymnastics. I'll be gone until next Tuesday for more Compact Discourse, but Compact Discourse will be right back again tomorrow with more from Davis Carroll. We hope to see you then. Thanks and have a great day. 